you hear that music, you know that it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. Jamie Uretsky on opening day 2019, a day that is better than every other day of the year, every other year of my life that I can remember. Opening day holds a special place for me, for relationships with my father, Today, my eldest son is going to go out to the K with me to tailgate in the rain and then hopefully see some baseball today as the Chicago White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals around 3.15 p.m., barring any delay from the weather. And so it's going to be just another great day in the history of the Kansas City Royals, a, a team that has won World Championships in 1985 and in 2015, and since the 2015 campaign has plummeted to the depths of the American League Central, where they're going to be all year long. Hopefully, folks, it'll be more optimistic than that. On the lighter side of baseball, we've got uh, a battle between Two teams that are probably going nowhere in uh, the 2019 pennant race. The Royals claim that they're the fastest team in the league, and the White Sox claim that they are the uh, best team to finish second to Machado. So that's where we are. Hopefully the White Sox will have a little bit better season than they had last year. Hopefully the Royals will win at least half of their games, which would be miraculous. And uh, at any rate, today is not a day to dwell on the negative. Today is a day to look at the positive, the features of opening day, which to me, like no other day, give you the opportunity, like every other team in baseball, to hope and think that your team's going to end up in the World Series. Now, is that really possible? Probably not, but we will explore the eight teams that have no chance to make the playoffs, let alone get to the World Series. And then I think we'll finalize our predictions for 2019 now that spring training is over with. So this is episode number 10A, or maybe 10, depending on how we numbered it back at the uh, production studio. The listening audience realizes that every time we do a uh, Podcast, we number it, and we talk about famous numbers that hold that particular number. And number 10, as you recall, led to the podcast devoted pretty much exclusively to Dick Hauser, the late manager of the Kansas City Royals when they won the World Series in 1985, and his number was retired by the Royals. The only other Royals to have their number retired would be Frank White, number 20, and, of course, Hall of Famer George Brett, who wore number five. Number five, number 10, and number 20 are not available to any Royals in the future, as those numbers have been retired and well-deserved. Hopefully, there won't be any other numbers retired here in the next uh, 10 or 15 years. At any rate, number 10s that come to mind, surely we remember Ron Santo with the Cubs, his number 10 is on a pennant that flies on the left field foul pole at Wrigley Field. Ron made it into the Hall of Fame. He also was a great Cub fan. He broadcast for years along with Pat Hughes, and sometimes Ron just couldn't talk into the microphone because he was so excited about what was going on at Wrigley. But unfortunately, 
as Ron's team in 1969 let Ron down and blew a 10-game lead in September and lost to the miraculous Mets, the amazing Mets of 1969. Uh, Ron uh, never was able to uh, see the Cubs win the World Series, uh, which is uh, one of the sad things. But anyway, Ron was a great player, great teammate, great third baseman, and uh, he dearly missed. Went to Cooperstown, saw his induction. His wife gave a spectacular speech, and he was uh, uh, missed at Cooperstown, but his spirit was there, and by goodness gracious, uh, that was pretty cool. So other tens that come to mind on the 1959 White Sox, it was Sherm Lawler, the catcher, who was uh, on that pennant-winning team that we are celebrating their 60th anniversary. So when we look at the 60 years of the White Sox since they won the 59 pennant, the Go-Go Sox, uh, that certainly brings back many memories to me. Uh, although I wasn't at opening day in 1959, I was there on closing day when they lost game six of the World Series to the Dodgers, and uh, that wrapped up the 1959 series with the Dodgers winning four games to two. I was there. It was exciting, and it also uh, was the place where I got my favorite souvenir ever. And if you ever go shopping at ballparks for souvenirs, you know, they look pretty cool when you're looking through the souvenir stand or at Wrigley when the fellow that's been hawking souvenirs for decades comes up with the big claws or the big hat or a nice warm blanket. Everything looks kind of neat. But generally speaking, you get them home and they ultimately get tossed when you start to clean out your belongings. In 1959, I bought this pennant. I don't even know if they still sell pennants at the ballpark, but it, it was a blue pennant with a yellow outline, and it had a white sock, hence the white socks, and it had on that white sock all the names of the players that were on the team in 1959 for the World Series. I still have that pennant, and uh, it is awesome. And I can't think of too many other examples of souvenirs. You know, you, the hats are pretty cool. The White Sox hat from 1959 and their uniform is as cool as a White Sox uniform ever got. They had the uh, black hat with the uh, White Sox on the, on the uh, front and trimmed in red. Spectacular. And so, you know, there probably aren't too many folks out there listening that remember the 1959 White Sox as well as I do, but those are my two favorite souvenirs that I still have. In fact, my White Sox hat from 1959 on the inside, on the bill of the cap, is a signature by Billy Pierce. And speaking of Billy Pierce, and like who wouldn't be speaking of Billy Pierce, in our efforts to talk about the 59 White Sox, and there's a number for you know the next 10 broadcasts that'll come from the 59 White Sox. In their opener against Detroit, the White Sox, on their way to a pennant, won the opener in extra innings. And just to prove me wrong, where I said back in the old days, baseball games went fast. The opening day for the White Sox in Detroit took four hours and 25 minutes. That's right. They scored lots of runs. 
They had lots of hits, lots of pitchers. Everybody on the roster got in that game. But let me just read you the starting lineup just because I think it's pretty cool. Leading off for the White Sox was Louis Aparicio, the shortstop. Nellie Fox was at second base. Landis in center. Lawler, my man, number 10, catching. Catch this one, number 25, I believe. The first baseman, Norm Cash. Hmm. And they say that guys stay put on teams way back when and that now everybody moves around. Well, the White Sox got rid of Norm Cash, and he went on to make numerous all-star teams and was one of the best first basemen in baseball as the Tigers won several pennants with Norm. In right field that day was Al Smith, who came in when Minnie Minoso sadly was traded to the Indians. Uh, in left field, you had Johnny Callison, and at third base, you had Bubba Phillips, and the starting pitcher, yes, Billy Pierce. That game was won by Jerry Staley, another mainstay in their bullpen. Now, for the Detroit Tigers, you had Eddie Yost leading off, Harvey Keene batting second. You had Al Kaline batting third, Gail Harris, who was pretty much a journeyman first baseman, Frank Bowling. Larry Doby, one of my personal favorites. You had uh, Wilson and Jim Bunning, a Hall of Famer and a senator in the United States Senate, starting that game. So, man, those were the, those were the days, 1959, that we look back on uh, for our review of the 60th anniversary of the Go-Go White Sox. Ah, but let's turn our attention to the stuff that's going to go on today. And let me tell you, uh, it is going to be great. Every team is going to play today, even though the Mariners and the Athletics got to jump on the season in Tokyo. Uh, the A's won um, nothing. The Mariners won two games. Ichiro was happy. He retired, and we covered that. So... We're going to flip the page, we're going to turn the page, we're going to come up on the new season, we're going to look at everything that's going on, we're going to stay away from the heavy side of baseball, we're going to go to the lighter side of baseball if we can, we're going to talk about the upcoming season for the Royals, the upcoming season for the Cubs, the Brewers, touch on the White Sox, the projected starting lineups, and we're going to talk about the extension mania that's been going on in Major League Baseball over the past couple of weeks. It all started with Sonny Gray signing an extension. And the players, as we've talked about before, Verlander, Scherzer, Arenado, some of the big boys have been critical about the free agency market and how stagnant the approach from Major League Baseball seemed to be towards most of the free agents. Now, that's the player's perspective. I don't think the money they paid to Bryce Harper or to Machado or to other free agents is really minuscule. It's kind of like the effect that arbitration had on the salaries. Everybody points to free agency as being the big driver of high salaries, but in my opinion, it was really 
the arbitration provision that was put into the collective bargaining agreement way back when. And here's what I mean, and it can apply to free agency just as well. What the uh, baseball arbitration allowed was that the player submitted his number and the club submitted their number. And they'd go to arbitration, they'd state their case, and the arbiter could only pick one of the two numbers. You could either pick the player's number or the owner's number. There was no, you know, like in the mediations and arbitrations that I was involved in in my 45 years of practicing law, uh, the mediator or the arbitrator, like a jury, could kind of wander around and, and uh, you know, not necessarily take the number suggested by one side or the other and come up with a compromise, which was the hallmark of... Uh, mediation, really, and even arbitration. But in baseball, you take one or the other. Well, now, what happened was after a very short period of time, both sides learned that the fear factor was what drove the next generation of negotiations with this arbitration. In other words, the player would artificially inflate their number and Let's just say that this guy's real market value was a million dollars. The player would ask for two million dollars, and in the first couple of years, the club would put eight hundred thousand. You know, they're twenty percent below market value, and so uh, the arbiter would look at the information and say, "Well, you know what? The player is closer than the owners are, so this one million dollar guy is not going to be given the eight hundred. We're going to give him two million." And so he got a million over his market value, and all of a sudden the clubs go, well, okay, I'll, I better adjust to that. And so the next year, that million-dollar player, he might ask for two million again, but the club was going to counter with a million and a half. So automatically, the player's going to get 500 grand above his market value. Now, that same phenomenon, in my opinion, is going on with the... Uh, current position of the free agency. In other words, the free agents, the big boys, got their money, but all of a sudden, the uh, players under contract that were stars, the Arenados of the world, the Chris Sales of the world, the um, Mike Trouts of the world, decided, you know what? I kind of love where I'm playing. My family loves where I'm at. When you get to this stratosphere of money, who cares how many hundreds of millions I'm going to net from Major League Baseball? Let's see what the club will guarantee. And so instead of playing out your contract, you know, turning down a qualified offer in November and sitting around until, like with Kimbrell, he's still not signed and it's opening day, these guys are figuring with their brilliant agents, hey, let's just cut a deal now. And so that's been happening. I could list 40 guys that signed extensions with uh, Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs being the most recent. But Trout signed a humongous extension. And Bregman and Arenado and Sale and on and on and on. With teams all over the board. It wasn't just the big teams that are going to have a shot at the World Series every year. No, look at Snell, the reigning Cy Young winner, signed with the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, 
What are the odds they're going to win the World Series? Well, they're going to have to get a new ballpark and get a new philosophy in order to, in order to win. And then you look at Arenado. He loves Colorado, and who wouldn't love to hit in Colorado? And Arenado, man, is a top five and maybe the top player in baseball, one-two with Trout. He decided, I'll just stay put here in, uh, in beautiful Colorado. And look at Elroy Jimenez, the kid that came over and was one of the giveaways from Theo Epstein to the White Sox in exchange for Quintana. They sent him back down to the minor leagues in the middle of spring training this year, and all of a sudden they go, hey, you know, we didn't spend our $300 million on Machado. Let's do a five-year deal with this guy we just sent out. And that's what they did. And then, okay, well, if we're going to pay him 4 or $5 million a year, we better get him back up here to the 25-man roster, and that's what they did. And today, I'll get to see him and us starting in uh, the White Sox lineup, and that's exciting. You know, the White Sox are spending some money because they were left at the altar in the Machado deal, and they figure, we, we better do something. We're not going to put that money, as uh, I suggested, into a dome so that more guys would want to go to Chicago as opposed to now where they freeze their butts off in April and May, and sometimes even in June. Uh, so this extension phenomena uh, was certainly, a, a, it's a boom for the players, and they ought to realize it, and they did realize it, and their agents realized it, and it's like, how many more millions do we need? If I can't live on the paltry $55 million uh, contract that Kyle Hendricks signed for four years extension, then there's something wrong with my agent and his team because I ought to be pretty set when I go, you know, pick up my paycheck every two weeks and it's a pretty good chunk of change with uh, lots of zeros after that comma. So at any rate, that is the scoop. And interestingly, and let me underline the word interestingly, uh, the Boris Corporation, none other than Scott Boris, had none of those guys do an extension. He doesn't believe in it because the deal is all about him. And the Players Association isn't exactly big on these extensions. So we don't know what the CBA is going to do after the 2020 season. But we do know that Tony Clark and Scott Boris, Clark being the head of the Players Association and Boris being the agent that's got more of these guys than uh, most anybody else, they don't like these extensions. They like to keep their players out, and they figure they can get a better deal. Well, I don't think Harper got a better deal. Uh, obviously, something went south in Washington, D.C., but I don't think uh, the deal he got from the Phillies was as good as the offer that he got from the Nationals. And, well, you know, we hear from Harper that, oh, we're a family and this is going to be great. Well, come on. I, I give it a year or two, as I've said before. But at any rate, we're going to take a quick break. If we had a sponsor, you'd hear the music coming in on the sponsor, you'd hear me pitching the sponsor, and then you'd run out to the store and buy whatever it was that we were selling. But this is a non-commercial enterprise, and we are just out to have fun, and that's what we're going to do today and then for the first week of opening day. And then after the first week's over, we'll come back with podcast number 11 and talk about who looks good, who looks bad, who got off to a, hard, a fast start. We're going to talk about our W4C or WFC. We haven't really landed on what we're going to call it. 
One of my buddies suggested that W4C, so if we go with that, I'll have to give Metro a little shout out. It's wins from chemistry or wins for chemistry, and we'll look back and arbitrarily and subjectively attach a number to what a certain player does in terms of his chemistry to promote a win. It's every bit as scientific as war, wins against replacement, or some of the other ridiculous things that, that have come into the forefront, like launch angle. Did anybody ever swing upwards before launch angle came into play? Thanks to Sabermetrics and Bill James and MLB Network? No. Well, yeah, they did. Launch angle and exit velocity, it's all been going on. In fact, it's kind of funny. The Sabermetricians, I guess that's what you call them, if you go look in baseball reference for Babe Ruth, they put a war on Babe Ruth, the wins against replacement for Babe Ruth. Go figure. You know, the only war Babe had was with his waist and trying to keep his waist from expanding to the point where he couldn't swing a bat. The whip, you go back and you look at Cy Young. They gave Cy Young, if you look in baseball reference, Cy Young has a whip. Wins or walks and hits per innings pitched. Again, one of my keys. Uh, to analyzing baseball. It's simple. I look at the whip, and I look at the run scored, and I can pick every bit as good as the folks at MLB uh, TV. So anyway, and I, sorry, Harold, but, you know, give me a break. It doesn't take much to figure out that the uh, Judge-Stanton combination is going to probably get pretty doggone close to 100 home runs this year, and a few of the other goofy predictions that were made on MLB last night. But at any rate, it's going to be fun. We're going to sit back down here in a few minutes and we're going to go over the uh, opening day matchups. And there's some great matchups. And then we will look forward to our predictions for the coming year. I'm sure I already gave predictions somewhere, and these may be different, but I do have predictions, and they'll be tied to this podcast number 10 or 10a and we'll talk about the 1955 set of tops baseball cards the first set to have a horizontal card in other words every other card had been vertical with the skinny part of the card sticking up and down you guys know what vertical and horizontal differences are and uh, 1955 was the smallest set of tops ever produced other than the 51 set, which really wasn't a set that people look at uh, too frequently. But the 55 set is right there in that group of sets that is second to none. And 1955 is also, as I said, the year that the Philadelphia Athletics moved their team right here in River City to Kansas City, Missouri. And at uh, Municipal Stadium, down the street from Arthur Bryant's, those were the days. So we'll be back in a few minutes. I want to thank everybody, and especially those of you who listened to my podcast with Dick Hauser. That was a great interview, and uh, I'm glad that you had an opportunity to hear that. So we'll be back in a few minutes. This is Jamie Retzke on the lighter side of baseball. And we're back on opening day, and... Uh, Episode 10A, I forgot to talk about my slip-up. You know, we say when we 
make a mistake, we try to correct it. I thought Elston Howard was number 10, and we were going to talk a little bit about Elston Howard. But Elston wore number 32, shame on me. Uh, Chris Shambliss, most recent Yankee to wear number 10. But, as is true with most numbers, at least 1 through 10, with the New York Yankees, you can find pretty much a Hall of Famer with any of those numbers, and that is the case with number 10, Scooter Rizzuto. Phil Rizzuto was a shortstop through 1956 with the New York Yankees, and Scooter is definitely in the Hall of Fame. He'd be in the Hall of Fame if he was a broadcaster only, but he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, the career he had with the Yankees, the times on the All-Star team, spectacular. One World Series with the Yankees in the uh, uh, tremendous series they had with Brooklyn for the most part in the early 50s. And so anyway, our uh, tip of the hat to number 10, Scooter Rizzuto. Uh, Scooter also, by the way, uh, was the person, and again, I didn't realize this until I started doing a little research, Rizzuto came up with his phrase that was his famous phrase, holy cow. Now, I always attributed holy cow to Harry Carey because he pretty much ran with that and was famous for lots of other reasons, not to mention all the cows that were modeled and given away in Chicago. But Harry, holy cow, Carey, one of the great all-time broadcasters, but uh, it was Phil Rizzuto, uh, Scooter, who came up with the uh, phrase, holy cow. Uh, and that was his uh, trademark phrase as he broadcast 40 years of Yankees baseball. So there you have it on going back to uh, number 10 and uh, Scooter Rizzuto. Now on to opening day activities. As with most Royals games, the highlight is the tailgate. Uh, it kind of started with the Chiefs at Arrowhead where on game day, hours and hours and hours and hours before the kickoff, if you roll into the parking lot, you're going to smell some of the best barbecue-flavored smoke going in the face of the earth. The Royals fans were a little slower to come to the tailgate, but you know, back in uh, 19... 84, 85, 86, I began to tailgate out there, and uh, gradually the management put up with it. They didn't really like it at first, and uh, discouraged it, but nonetheless, we started back in the 80s, and we continue till today. The standard, I don't get too fancy, you know, we've got the Chiefs, you get people that, you know, you just can't even believe the tailgating that goes on at, at Arrowhead at the Chiefs parking lot. I keep it basic, and I start with a little Polska kielbasa being grilled just to get the coals going. Then I add a little of the cheddar cheese to those appetizers, and then I put on the main course, which are the trifecta heard around the world, hot dogs, bratwurst, and burgers. You can't beat it. Uh, you just can't beat it. You can get tricky. You can come up with whatever frou-frou-y food you want to throw on the grill or whatever you want to bring from home. Um, I generally don't have many sides unless my wife accompanies me to the tailgate. 
My sides consist of uh, potato chips, Fritos, Doritos, and occasionally Cheetos, dessert, box of chocolate chip cookies, and uh, probably a Hershey bar or two. An iced down Spotted Cow Beer. There's another good sponsor from Wisconsin. We're going to have to work on that. Spotted Cow, the New Glarus uh, Brewery up in uh, New Glarus, Wisconsin. There isn't any better beer that I've ever tasted. So that coupled with a diet zero, Coke Zero to go, and there you have it. This podcast is not brought to you by Spotted Cow, not brought to you by Johnsonville, and it's not brought to you by Coca-Cola. Because if it was, we'd be playing to a different audience. Those are big-time sponsors. be nice to have, but uh, we're on the lighter side of baseball, and we're on the lighter side of sponsors. But by God, we're going to see if we can't uh, do something about that. But I appreciate you guys going to the free app SoundCloud and punching in on the lighter side of baseball, and you can catch all 10, actually 11 podcasts anytime you want and hear all this great stuff or go to sleep with my voice. Who knows? Uh, the listening audience is growing, and uh, we appreciate it. But let's get on to what's going to happen today in Major League Baseball. The best matchup of the day and maybe of the year comes in Washington, D.C., when Max Scherzer takes on Jacob deGrom, who is the most recent after Kyle Hendricks to get a lucrative, lucrative, lucrative extension. And so deGrom versus Scherzer doesn't get much better than that. I'm sure that uh, Syndergaard is licking his chops when deGrom got that kind of a deal. The second best matchup today, in my opinion, is another pitcher that got an extension in the recent past, Justin Verlander, versus another player who got an extension, the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the American League, Blake Snell. So it's in the first matchup, the Mets versus the Nationals, and then in that game that I just mentioned, the Astros versus Tampa Bay. In the Third matchup that some people think is spectacular. Uh, it's occurring in Milwaukee, featuring yet another pitcher that got an extension in the offseason. Do you get the theme? Do you see where we're going? I mean, this is an incredible. This doesn't happen. This is really the first year I can remember where there was an epidemic of, of extensions, and I think it's cool. Uh, a, it eliminates the free agency baloney that we've seen lately, it drags on and on and on and on and on, and it hurts guys. It hurt Kimbrell. It hurt Musakis last year. I think it hurt Hosmer. I think uh, it just it, it's just crazy. If the Royals had done what these other teams had done, they would have extended Hosmer. They would have extended Moustakas. They did give a pretty good long-term deal to Perez and Gordon, and they'd have kept the nucleus of the team because, as I said in my W. FC or W4C wins for chemistry, it counts. Chemistry is big. Look at David Ross on the Cubs. They should have made him the 25th man, had him catch once a week, and have him be a playing coach. They missed the boat with that. Ridiculous. They, they try to save nickels and dimes, and then they go spend 
$74 million on Ian Kennedy, the Royals, who now is in the bullpen. And, you know, um, the Royals have a habit of Gil Mesh. I mean, Mesh was the only guy that signed a lucrative deal with the Royals, and he couldn't look himself in the mirror every day. And he finally said to the Royals, look, I know you owe me another 35 or 40 million bucks, but I don't deserve it. I quit. I retire. Keep your money. Unheard of, probably the only time to this day that somebody's done that. So with respect to Mike Trout, he will collect every nickel no matter what happens to him. Of his contract, and that's the way baseball is, unlike the NFL. But anyway, back to St. Louis versus Milwaukee. Miles Mikolas. Mikolas, you know, had a good year last year. Uh, the new manager had a pretty good year when he replaced Matheny. That was all an aberration, folks. It ain't going to happen again, and it's going to start today. Today. Today, Mikolas, the guy they extended for millions and millions, the guy who won, I think, 18 games last year, is going to get shelled in Milwaukee. You heard it here. And the Brewers counter with somebody that just demonstrates they got a great bullpen and their starting rotation is spotty at best. And that is uh, with Shaquin or Shasin. I don't, you know... I watched this guy kill the Cubs. I watched him win the win the division last year. They won the division championship, and then they almost went to the World Series. They were one out away from the World Series. And their bullpen was spectacular, although they've got a few problems with injuries now in their bullpen with Knebel being on the shelf. But their starting, line, their starting rotation is kind of going to be the big question mark on that team. But Yelich is going to have a great year. I think Kane will have a great year if he continues to stay healthy. Braun is due for a good year, and now they've got Grandel catching. So I like the Brewers, and I like this matchup, and I like the Brewers in this matchup. In the first two, I like Verlander to beat Snell. I think Snell was kind of a one-year flash. But again, we'll pull out podcast number 10A next uh, fall and see where we were. And I think Scherzer, gee, many Christmas. He's the best pitcher in baseball uh, against DeGrom. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be cool. Uh, you know, the Nationals screwed around my a good friend's son. And uh, Rizzo, the manager, the general manager of that Nationals team, ought to be, you know, looking around somewhere else for a job. But for some reason, he keeps his job. If I had the payroll value that he had, I'd have a winner if I were the GM. So when they dump Sammy Solis in the middle of spring training for no reason after they you know, deadened his arm last year by overuse, I'm never going to pull for the Nationals. So come on, Mets, beat them, sweep them. Uh, I think the, uh, the next exciting uh, matchup, in my opinion, is the... Um, Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Uh, Zach Greinke, you can't you can't say enough about this guy. He signed a huge contract and he's delivered. And uh, you know he started out with the reputation of being pretty flaky in Kansas City, maybe not wanting to play baseball. Uh, you know he'd rather have been a shortstop or a surfer. 
uh, you know, Brett kind of babysat him for a year or two. And uh, what can I say? His record speaks for itself. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. And he's pitching up against Ryu of the uh, Dodgers, and I'm probably saying that name wrong, Hun Yun Jin Ru. He is taking the place of Clayton Kershaw. The Dodgers, who potentially have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, have, in my opinion, dropped into the second tier of starting rotation with Kershaw, question mark, and uh, some of the other injuries that have uh, befallen that staff. So we'll see. Jensen Jensen didn't have exactly a spectacular spring or the end of last year, and Rich Hill is Rich Hill. I mean, this guy was out of baseball, and now he's your fourth or fifth starter, and and he's done well. Uh, And he's fiery, more fiery than he was when he was with the Cubs. I mean, it's pretty cool. Now, The next game features yet another extension. Do you see? Here we are again, another big-time extension, and that's with Chris Sale, uh, the Red Sox, because he decided, hey, you know what? I love Boston. My family loves Boston. I want to be here. I like the uh, new manager. I like the fact that we won the World Series. They're going to pay me a lot of money, so I don't ever have to negotiate with Dombrowski again. I'm done, I've got my money, and I'm going to deliver. And he does deliver. And he's as fiery as Greinke or Scherzer. You look at those three guys, and you look at their attitude. It's amazing they can control their emotions on the mound because they're so competitive. And Greinke tries to be laid back, but he's competitive. And Chris Sale's crazy. And, and we've seen that from you know, cutting up a uniform he didn't want to pitch in when he was with the White Sox to his tantrum on the bench that may have attributed or people have attributed to the Red Sox turning the corner and winning the World Series. The dude is intense. And that brings you to Scherzer. There's nobody more intense than Max Scherzer, and the guy delivers, and he pitches quick. He's not burly quick, but he's pretty fast not only with his fastball, but with the speed in which he delivers these pitches. And Mad Max is going to have a a great season. He always does. He's in the prime. And, uh, you know, what can you say? The uh, next interesting matchup, I think, is with the Atlanta Braves taking on the Philadelphia Phillies. And that matchup is Julio Teron for the Braves and the traded... Star of the Phillies staff, Aaron Nola, not to be confused with Nova like I did before, but who couldn't confuse Nola and Nova? I did, I would again. Now, with the game with the Phils reminds me of another feature that you're going to hear only, only on the lighter side of baseball. That's right, we're going to have a feature that is called Bang for the Buck. And what two guys got more bucks and are questionable in terms of the chemistry aspect, W4C, wins for chemistry, than Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. So every week we're going to see who got the most bang for their buck, the pods or the fills. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be kind of cool. We'll follow runs scored, number one, We'll follow their batting average, we'll follow their hits, and we'll follow their RBIs. We will not follow their on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. 
We won't file and follow any of that stuff. We're going to follow the old school runs, hits, home runs, RBIs, batting average. That's it. The old days. None of this launch angle. None of this exit velocity. Because as you remember, the three things about this show, father-son's relationship and inheriting and passing down the love of baseball. Number two, anti-sabermetrics, except for whip. And number three, my uh, good friend uh, that I miss but still try to converse with in my mind, uh, the former all-star second baseman from the Texas Rangers, an all-around great guy and like my brother for 45 years, Dave Nelson. Anyway, we'll have Nelson's stories thrown in. And speaking of Nelson, while we're on the subject, as you may recall, one of his favorite memories was when he finally made the Cleveland Indians as a rookie and being on the squad for opening day. And the memories he had from that day also involved his his father and his mother being uh, at that ball game in Cleveland to see him run out on the field, be introduced, and to start that game. So that sort of highlights the uh, what the show's all about: uh, love of baseball, uh, my love of uh, David Earl Nelson, and uh, the love of uh, father-son and father-daughter and how it gets passed along from generation to generation. So back to Nelly, he makes the team, he's going to start that game, he's introduced and he looks over and got his parents nice seats with the, uh, you know, nice seats in Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, <laughs> even on opening day, you know, weren't that hard to come by. I I went to the last game at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, and there was a there was a the, one of the funnier signs on the scoreboard was uh, eighty thousand season tickets available for next year, and I think that was the year that they were leaving Municipal Stadium and going to the Jake, which was a great ballpark. But at the end, and in that last week of the season, in their last season in Municipal in Cleveland. The mistake on the lake, I mean, it was cavernous. It was a big ballpark, and it, it had so many empty seats. But anyway, so I'm sure on that opening day, and I can go back and look at the, the attendance for the opener, but anyway, he got his mom and dad good seats, and as he was, you know, going through all the great thoughts that had to be going through his mind about opening day and the pride and the emotions and all of that, hearkening back to the memories he had with his father, he looked over and, and he saw how proud his mom was. And Ida May, Dave's mother, was a great lady. She was the probate clerk for Los Angeles County, which is unbelievable. Pretty cool job that she had. She was a cool lady. And his dad was a great guy who loved baseball and worked all day uh, driving a, a municipal vehicle around and he'd come home at night and, and he would, every time Dave asked, he would play some form of baseball from throwing cut-off tennis balls at Dave for batting practice to actual BP out in the yard, you name it. His dad wanted all four of his sons to play and on opening day, 
Dave was so proud to have his father there and uh, so much fun to watch his mom soak it in because, as you might recall, Dave, like many other African-Americans who were playing through the minor leagues in the 60s and experiencing some of that racial prejudice, wanted to throw it in, as I told you Billy Williams did. And Ida Mae, also known as Mother Deer, uh, Dave's mom said, you know, Jackie didn't give up all the stuff he went through and all the sacrifices he made so that you could come back to Los Angeles. So, you know, suck it up. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about some of the things he experienced um, in some of his minor league uh, days. I think we've talked about some of them earlier, but be that as it may, that was opening day. And back to uh, Tehran versus Nola and Bryce Harper's uh, first at bat in Philadelphia. That'll be big time. That's a big time deal. Um, looking forward to that. The best game that I think, uh, in my opinion, after the DeGrom versus Scherzer will be when John Lester takes on the Texas Rangers and uh, Mike Miner. So, you know, the Rangers are one of those teams who have absolutely no shot at getting into the playoffs. Uh, Bumgardner's pitching today against the Padres. That's going to be a pretty good game. Uh, the Giants just suck. I mean, I don't know what happened to them. And now their owner has been suspended until July. He should have been suspended the whole year. I don't know what Mr. Bear was thinking about when he smashed his wife in public, but it was an ugly incident, caught on videotape, and uh, it was embarrassing, and he should be gone for the year, but he's not. And then you've got Kashner facing the Yankees, which is going to be a great game, and Jordan Zimmerman, remember him? He was in Washington for a long time. He'll go against Marcus Stroman of the Blue Jays, and Stroman uh, is, is a kid that... Um, Supposedly, again, I don't know any of these guys. If I do, it's by mistake. But I've listened to Stroman. He's very articulate. Went to Duke. And, and he, like, won three or four games last year. His ERA was through the roof. He was bothered with injuries. But he was just lambasted the Blue Jays for not giving him a long-term deal, saying, well, I love playing here and nobody else really wants to play here, but I love Toronto, blah, blah, blah. Like... Here's Mike Trout, who is the best player in baseball, doesn't say diddly. And here's Stroman, who may have been the worst pitcher in the world last year, and he's mad because they didn't give him an extension. So anyway, that's kind of a breakdown of opening day. Let me talk a little bit about who I think has, between no chance of getting into the playoffs and a good chance to win the the World Series. Let's start with the no chance at all of getting into the uh, playoffs this year. Um, and again, we'll go back, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be 100% accurate. So, you know, like everything else, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to break 80 someday playing golf, but only if we play miniature golf. For those of you out there that have played golf with me, you know that uh, the only way I'm going to break 80 is if I only play nine holes. So, be that as it may, uh, let's look at uh, the teams that have zero chance, zero chance. And again, it, it kind of is irritating that they don't have any chance because they ought to be spending money. Uh, these guys that own baseball teams have the money to spend. There ought to be a basement on what 
the minimum amount is that your salary should be. And I think it's, like I said, within 20% of the league average. The league average is around $140 million. So everybody ought to be in that 110 to 120 range, not the range that the Oakland Athletics and the Rays and some of these other teams are in. But anyway, I digressed, as I always do. In the American League East, the two teams that have zero chance of getting into playoffs, the Baltimore Orioles, which, you know what, they're owned by this hotshot lawyer that ought to have a big payroll. You know, they have a proud tradition from all the pennants they won and the World Series they played in and Jim Palmer and Earl Weaver and Mike Cuellar and Ripken and Boog Powell and on and on and on and on and on and a one of the all-time best ballparks you will ever go to is Camden Yard. Get to Baltimore. It's in a great spot. It's in a great city. There's a lot of fun things to do on a summer vacation. Go to Camden Yard. Go to the right field corner and have some Boog's barbecue. It's great. And Boog's generally there signing autographs. I've got a great autograph from the boogeyman. Uh, rookie of the year, Boog Powell. Anyway, Orioles, ain't no chance. Blue Jays, doggy. They play in a doggy ballpark. I, I think it's doggy. Um, I, I think indoor baseball is great only if there's a roof that you can retract, like Miller Park. Miller Park is a spectacular place to play baseball because in the nice weather, they retract the, the roof. Uh, they can even start a game with the roof um, closed and uh, open it. So who wouldn't want to play there? The White Sox ought to have that. The Cubs ought to have that. Everybody that's um, you know in the northern part of the world, north of St. Louis, ought to have a ballpark with a retractable roof. But anyway, that the Blue Jays uh, ballpark is a goofy. A story about the Blue Jays ballpark while we're on the subject, I think it was 1993 was the first World Series north of the border, and it was in Toronto, and it featured, I believe, one of the spectacular endings with uh, Joe Carter. But I was at the first game played in the World Series outside of the continental United States, and uh, outside of the United States, who cares whether it's the continental United States, because Canada's not going to be and never was in the United States. Maybe way back before somebody bought it, it was part or contiguous to, and it still is contiguous to the United States. But again, I digressed. Uh, the cool thing about obviously seeing the World Series in Canada was pretty cool. The uh, price of a Molson export was, was exorbitant back in 1993. You got a little bitty cup for a lot of money. And even though it was Canadian funny money, it still was kind of uh, like eight ounces of beer for you know what then was probably 10 bucks. But the coolest thing about uh, that ballpark, and, and it's gone through a couple different names, and now I think it's Rogers Stadium or Rogers Field or whatever, named after the communication giant who ought to have a bigger payroll. The concessionaire back when the stadium opened and even during the World Series was none other than McDonald's. Again, another awesome company that's not a sponsor of this show. But at any rate, moving to the American League Central Division, the Detroit Tigers have zero chance of getting into the playoffs. And that's horrible because that franchise is steeped with spectacular uh, tradition from Ty Cobb 
to we talked about Norm Cash to uh, Mickey Lolich to Al Kaline to you name it. I mean, that is a storied franchise, and they're pathetic. They are just pathetic. And when Dombrowski was there, and the Pizza Man on the team, they gave it their best shot to um, win, and they did win. But uh, man, oh man, the cupboards bare, and the Tigers just are pathetic, as are the Kansas City Royals. As I've said, I went through their lineup, and man, before I started these podcasts, I'd heard of Alex Gordon and Jorge Soler, and that was about it. Um, In the West, the Texas Rangers have no chance. I think the A's uh, blew their wad last year, and I don't see them getting in, although they just traded for Kendris Morales. So you got to give Billy Bean credit. They get talk about the bang for their buck. They they win that show every year, but I don't think they're going to get into the playoffs. That may be the fringe. So when we play this back in October, uh, this could be my prediction that went awry. In the National League in the East, the Miami Marlins, Derek Jeter, Don Mattingly, you guys ought to be ashamed of yourself. Jeter especially. You traded away. You gave away uh, Yelich. You gave away Stanton. You gave away Real Muto. What are you thinking? You know, you think a prospect in five years you're going to have a Real Muto? You think you're going to have a Stanton? If you can't afford to pay for talent, get out of Dodge. Look at Artie Moreno. He recognized that, yeah, I've made mistakes. The Pujols contract, eh, maybe good, maybe bad. But I'm going to pay Trout and hope that he stays healthy and continues to deliver, as opposed to the Marlins, who were owned by an art dealer who, I don't know how in the way, could not afford to buy a minor league team, ends up with the Montreal Expos, and then parlays a deal to trade in the franchise of the Red Sox to the current owners of the Red Sox. In exchange, he goes and gets the Marlins deal and uh, sells it for near a billion bucks to the new regime, who seem to be more interested in saving money and having Derek Jeter than uh, they do winning. I don't get it. I, I don't get Florida baseball at all. And you've got the Rays that are in that god-awful stadium. Tear it down, build a new ballpark somewhere, and get on down the road. Rays, Devil Rays, whatever you are now. So back to the No Chance uh, Cafe, uh, headed up by the Marlins in the National League East. In the Central... Although they're getting better, the Pirates and the Reds, they don't have a shot at the playoffs. I mean, look at the division. you got the Cubs, the Brewers, and then the Goldschmidt, another extension-led St. Louis Cardinals, and Mikolas, who I think are a flash in the pan. I told you the Cubs win, beat the Brewers by two games, and then the Cardinals are you know down there with Pittsburgh and Cincy. In the West, the Giants suck. They have no chance. The Padres have no chance, and the D-backs are questionable, but I'll put them in that same group. So... That is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 teams out of 30 that have absolutely no chance of getting in the playoffs. And as I said early on in my podcast, I can look at the top 10 payrolls and tell you that they have a 70 to 80% chance of getting in. Now, let's look at the possible get-ins before we get into the locks. Possible in the American League East are the Rays. Possible in the Central, the White Sox, 
and the Twins. Although some people are picking the Twins now that Molitor has been replaced by uh, Baldarelli, or however you pronounce his name, uh, the Rocco. He's had a, every job imaginable in baseball, and uh, he's still younger than a lot of guys on his team. Another, maybe in the, um, in the West, the Mariners might get in, the Angels might surprise some people. In the National League, the maybes are the Phillies with all the money they paid, and they did make some good deals. They got McCutcheon, they got Harper, they got Real Muto, they got either Nola or Nova, I think it's Nola. They got Arietta. They've got, um, got a good team, and uh, they've paid a lot of money, and that's what you ought to do. The other owners ought to be doing it too. Everybody ought to be at 150, not just the average. So Phillies and the uh, Braves, the Braves, man, I don't know. They, they won the division last year, but I don't see that happening again. In the Central, the Maybes, because I obviously picked the Cubs to win it all, uh, are the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers. And in the West, I don't think there are any maybes. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the Colorado Rockies. So that who is going to definitely get into the playoffs? Here's my picks for that. Uh, in the American League East, the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to get in the playoffs, barring something untoward happening. In the Central, the Indians are going to get in the playoffs. And in the West, the Astros are a lock for the playoffs. In the National League, the Nationals, I think, finally get in the playoffs. And the Mets get in the playoffs. Um, I actually picked the Mets to win that division. The Cubs are going to get in the playoffs, winning that division. And the uh, Colorado Rockies are perhaps going to unseat the Los Angeles Dodgers that are going for a third pennant in a row. I don't think they're going to get it. They gave away too many guys, and I think the uh, manager is going to wear off on those guys, but that's just me. So there you have the locks and the lockouts. I think the American League Championship Series is between the Red Sox and the Astros. I think the Astros win. I think the National League Championship Series is between the Nationals and the Cubs. The Cubs win. And I think the Cubs defeat the Astros in seven games in the World Series that um, actually starts in October for a change instead, and I think ends in October. So there you have it, folks. Those are my predictions. Those are my uh, uh, recipes for my tailgate party, all the way to talking about Phil Rizzuto, Ron Santo, and Sherm Lawler. We've had a great show. This is a great opening day. I'm excited, and a week from today, we'll come back and we'll do podcast number 11 featuring none other than that Hall of Famer, Louis Aparicio. Now, here's a good trivia question to leave. The White Sox had a double play combination of Aparicio and Fox, and then it was either Torgerson, Dropo, or Klazuski, but those were interchangeable, especially in 59 with Torgerson and Klazuski. But the Cubs had, and it's in a little poem, Tinkers to Evers to Chance, a double play combination that not only was in a poem, and it's kind of a catchy little rhymey deal. But all three of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Can you come up with anybody else that has a double play combination, including a first baseman? So that would be short, second, first. So six to four to three if you're keeping score. A six, four, three double play combo or four, six, three or three, four, three, whatever. 
shortstop, second base, first base, that's in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Not in the same year. Tinkers to Evers to Chance. I leave you with that Cub trivia. The Cubs are going to win between 90 and 100 games. They're going to have a great year. And we're going to talk next time about the feud between Theo Epstein and Joe Madden. I mean, where did we go awry with the love affair that started five years ago when Theo and Joe were sitting in Joe's RV looking out over the trailer park and maybe the Gulf of Mexico with a kumbaya all night long, we love each other, this is going to go forever, to today where it seems like Giardi is in the sights of uh, Theo who has spurned his lover. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Madden is kooky. I don't think all the time he's all there in terms of what I would do, but he's got the trophy, the rings, and the background. I don't. It's easy for me to say stuff, but Joe's got to make the calls. He's supposedly going to be more hands-on this year with the Cubs. I've never heard of their hitting coach. Their pitching coach has never, ever been a coach anywhere. And uh, you've got it. You got Theo at the end of the year talking about how he thinks they need a better launch angle and more exit velocity. And uh, we'll see if the shift beats them this year like the shift beat them last year. Clearly, the shifts, guys playing Rizzo in the outfield, guys playing Brian all around, the shift beat the Cubs. Now, can the Cubs beat the shift in 2019? We'll see. I think they can, and I hope so. So anyway, again, this is Jamie Retzke. I've had a blast today. I'm going to have a tailgate blast, and then I'm going to watch the Royals win their opener against the White Sox. And then in a week, we'll be back with yet another podcast on the lighter side of baseball. So with the grass greening up and the sky hopefully blue, there's real baseball today, and we're looking forward to it. And until next week, this is Jamie Retzke saying, have a great opening day. Mm -hmm.